Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. We're expecting pictures from the James Webb Space Telescope soon. And in the coming years, we will learn more about the earlier stars and galaxies after the Big Bang. And we may even see significant progress toward becoming a multi-planetary species. So what does Islam have to say about the importance of space exploration? How does the Big Bang fit into our understanding of creation from an Islamic perspective? And does studying space have any importance to our daily lives as Muslims? Welcome to a new episode of Double Take, a podcast by Yaqeen Institute about the questions and ideas around Islam and Muslims that give us pause. If you haven't already done so, please feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear or want to share some feedback, always willing to take it, you can let us know directly in the link in the show notes. I'm Mohammed Zaad, and today I had the chance to sit down with an astrophysicist, Dr. Aisha Tamur, to discuss how we as Muslims should interact with what's going on out there in space. Dr. Aisha received her PhD in astronomy in 2016 from the University of Western Ontario, where she studied active galactic nuclei, focusing mostly on quasars. Before starting her PhD in Canada, she was a Fulbright student at Minnesota State University, where she completed her master's in physics. Enjoy the episode. Dr. Aisha, assalamu alaikum and welcome to Double Take. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad you took the time because Dr. Aisha, I've been fascinated by space and space travel for a long time now. And I've been even more excited recently because of the launch of NASA's James Webb Telescope, um, which we're expected to see the photos from in July. But before we talk about Muslims and space, I'd love to hear about your story and your background. You studied. Uh, you started your your scientific journey in Syria by completing your bachelor's in physics. Mashallah. Um, what pushed you to pursue a PhD in astronomy? Um, yeah. So Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, Salatu Wassalam ala Rasulillah. Yeah, I was uh, uh, studying for my uh, undergrad in Syria, uh, studying physics. I've always liked physics and math, and was good at it. So um, I think that my my second year, I was. Um, uh, uh, probably bored in the library and I came across a book with some nice cover about something about space. Uh, and until that time, uh, I was under the impression that astrophysics is one of those topics that can only be studied in advanced research uh, level. Uh, but then when I opened the book and I found a chapter about the sun and the sun, you know, feels familiar. So I was reading it and then the, the physics sounded familiar as well. So now in hindsight, it sounds common sense, obviously it's gonna be the same physics, but for me, it was a moment where I discovered that the space is just this awesome natural laboratory where a physicist can observe uh, some of the most interesting physics um, that could perhaps be impossible or very hard to replicate in the, in the laboratories here on Earth. I mean, I'm thinking of stuff like uh, very high energy particles, um, crazy magnetic fields or uh, very massive objects like supermassive black holes or uh, clusters of galaxies that are gravitationally bound, uh, they're so massive, they end up bending space-time. Um, and then, you know, it, it sounds like stuff from science fiction movies, but it's real. Uh, so I was immediately hooked. Alhamdulillah, I, was, I had the opportunity then to travel and pursue my interest uh, and work with wonderful people for my master's and PhD. 
I'm glad you did because um, I would say very few uh, Muslims are in this space. That's my assumption. And very few Muslim women uh, are in this space. So thank you for pushing the boundaries um, and being on the, for on the forefront of this stuff. So I'm going to test my knowledge here and you feel free to, to correct me, right? Because I've been researching the James Webb telescope um, quite a bit over the last few months. Um, and my understanding is that it's succeeding the Hubble telescope at NASA's flagship mission uh, in astrophysics. So Hubble, as I understand, was primarily an ultraviolet uh, and visible light observatory, uh, which helped us learn a lot about space, but it couldn't see through the clouds and the dust that absorb visible light. That's my understanding. Whereas James Webb is more kind of infrared. Uh, it's designed to operate primarily on, uh, on infrared technology. And, uh, and so it can see through the clouds, it can see through the dust. Um, NASA wants to look back 13, 14 billion years to explore the first stars and galaxies that formed after the Big Bang. So we can learn more about the evolution of space and our own solar system. Um, this has a lot of potential consequences for us, especially as Muslims, because like, you know, how do we marry kind of that knowledge with, with our deen? So I guess through this uh, telescope, we'll, we'll better understand the history of space and the origins of the Earth. We'll explore the potential of living on other planets uh, and becoming a multi-planetary species potentially. And we could even potentially discover life in other galaxies. This is what I'm reading. This is what I'm watching on YouTube and hearing Elon Musk talk about. Um, all this is incredibly exciting. Uh, but as a Muslim, I wonder, do we have any guidance on this in the Quran and the Sunnah? Like in the Quran, uh, you know, as far as I know, uh, and as far as I read, we, we hear only about one earth, one ard, not multiple earths. Um, so all of this to ask, Dr. Aisha, it's not a big question. <laughs> is space and the potential for human life in space mentioned in the Islamic tradition? I think all of us, uh, you know, are excited about uh, the Webb telescope and uh, Hubble isn't going to be completely retired. Uh, I think it's going to probably continue to function uh, for some time. Um, the, the question you ask is an interesting question. I think uh, if you open the Quran, we see uh, it's replete with ayat that talks about uh, the skies and uh, the samawat appears a lot in the Quran uh, in different contexts. Uh, does it talk specifically about uh, different uh, about potential of life on different planets? Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't think I've seen any reference that comes directly and talks about the potential of us traveling uh, to other galaxies or other planets. Or, uh, but I think what's more important is that I haven't seen also anything against it. Um, if you read what the scholars say about this issue when, when they're asked, they said, you know, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us, he's able to create other uh, uh, earths and other, you know, planets and other uh, peoples. Um, sometimes, um, sometimes people think when, when astronomers are looking at life outside, uh, Earth in uh, extra, uh, you know, exoplanets. Um, they're not necessarily looking for intelligent life. Sometimes they're just looking for signatures of life. Uh, so any signatures of, uh, uh, you know, uh, biology happening there uh, could be potentially important for scientists. 
Um, I don't think the Quran mentions any, anything specifically about this issue. And that's, that's, there is nothing wrong with that. The Quran is a book of guidance. You wouldn't expect it to have, uh, you know, specific information about uh, uh, any scientific issue or, or, or otherwise. The question for me is, what would you say is the importance of us as Muslims looking into this space? Like what, what urges you on a day-to-day -day basis to say, you know yeah. what, I, I must continue focusing? Yeah, so, I mean, there are so many reasons. And when I start talking about this issue, I can, you know, go on for hours. So Please. I'm going to try to stay focused uh, and not, you know, go on. So, for instance, uh, Muhammad, you live in Australia. Uh, which direction is, is your Qibla? Uh, northwest or northwest. closer to west? Okay, it makes sense considering the map and your position towards Mecca. Uh, when I was in Syria, my, my, my Qibla was just simply south. When I moved to North America, uh, it was a different story. And without going into the details, uh, the Qibla in North America, only a few decades ago, there was actually a discussion among uh, scholars of the direction of, of, of the Qibla uh, in North America. Um, and people who discussed this issue, which is a purely religious ritual uh, topic, uh, were scholars in Islam, but they also needed a lot of knowledge in geography, astronomy, coordinate systems, uh, a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, uh, need to to those for, for those topics to actually make an informed decision uh, about this very, you know, uh, purely religious issue. Um, this wasn't strange. This is very similar to a situation the early generation Muslims found themselves in when they started moving farther from Mecca um, and they started living in, in areas that are um, that when the Qibla direction wasn't obvious uh, because they didn't have the technology we have right now. So they had to uh, figure out ways to calculate the direction, to figure out where, where, where to pray, which direction to pray. So in North Africa and Iraq as well, uh, people uh, there had to digest the existing knowledge in those areas um, and, you know, produce knowledge that was uh, uh, specifically uh, uh, meant to serve their religion, to serve Islam. Um, so this is one very clear application that the seasonal discussions around moon sighting as well, uh, people who, whether they do the calculations uh, and look at maps and you know tables, or people who go out to to seek uh, observe the observe the moon, both sides they need to have some background knowledge on uh, the moon, its phases and its cycle, and uh, how it's positioned in the sky vis-a-vis -vis the, the sun and the horizon. There's a lot of knowledge that's needed to produce uh, uh, you know a decision whether the new month started or not, and. Uh, I, I argue that certain, you know, in certain years when there was an issue with those decisions, it was based on um, someone who just thought they observed the moon and they were probably wrong and nobody around them was able to tell them, um, you know, that this is probably a mistake. So that's one angle to look at it, completely ritual, ibadah related topic. So from a spiritual application, uh, let's look at how it appears in the Quran. The context, if we kind of zoom out and look at what's exactly the purpose of mentioning those ayat, is to move the reader from the, the seen to the unseen. It's to help us, uh, I, you know, be able to 
see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his creation to you know know that there is a creator to know that the creator is one uh, so the oneness of Allah the uh, how do you know that there's how do you know that there is a jannah how do you believe in resurrection on the day of judgment you can't see this stuff you can't measure it and there was a lot of uh, um, resistance from the early uh, from the Meccans when the Quran was revealed and you'll see many ayat coming to say Allah who created this is able to resurrect you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, uh, you know pointing at the creation of the heavens and earth to help us uh, believe that there is a creator and a designer uh, for all this that we see um, there's also another very important uh, spiritual aspect of this issue that can be seen when we understand uh, uh, our position in the sky, our very tiny size and our very, uh, you know, uh, lo very normal location, if we can use that word, to where, where we sit in the galaxy and our size and even the time span uh, that the Earth and the solar system will exist in. It's a blink of an eye in terms of the age, if we compare it to the age of the universe. Uh, this is important for us as as uh, humans to to realize and to internalize, and to, because otherwise, how would you face challenges in life? How would you uh, face uh, you know even successes? How would you look at pe powerful people without having this feeling that uh, you know there is a creator who put me here and I have uh, an amana? And I am uh, seen by this creator and I'm significant because I can I can talk to him directly and I I live in this vast universe, but still I matter, right? Like there's a certain existential element for understanding uh, astronomy. Um, and I think it's very important uh, combined with, with what the Quran mentioned, mentions about believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us uh, on a spiritual level connect with the rest of the creation and be in a, in a state of communion with the rest of the creation and with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created us. Azakallah khair. You know, for me, um, busy at work, busy with family, uh, have kind of social uh, obligations. Uh, it's very, very hard to get out of the day-to-day. -day. Um, and there are probably two things that um, really helped me put things in context. Maybe three things. When I when I study the akhirah, um, the the hereafter, uh, and what's going to happen in the grave and day of judgment, that kind of adds to perspective. The other one is nature. For me, when I kind of just sit at the beach and because nature is kind of the the one thing that doesn't lie <laughs> in this uh, in this world and just helps you put things into to perspective and reminds you of Allah. The other one is is space, and that's why I've taken um, a, a pretty uh, strong interest in it, because the more we look into space, the more we we put things into perspective, and mm -hmm. the more it, we're able to um, actually appreciate the grandeur of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Um, and I know that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala asks us to to travel through the earth, uh, to to see how you know, the world was created. Um, but does he also recommend that we, you know, go and see into space to figure out uh, how Earth was created or how the world was created? I guess I have two questions for you. Like, is this 
an Islamic thing in your mind to go and explore space to figure out how earth was created and if it is if it is did any of the prophets do that like or did any of kind of the um the religious figures of the past do that because from what i read not not much yeah so traveling outside earth isn't necessary to to understand the universe uh, the uh, prophets before us, uh, if you want to take their examples, and we should, uh, did reflect on space a lot. The Prophet ﷺ was known among his uh, Sahaba to frequently look at the sky. He will be sitting with them and they will see him frequently just look up. Um, yeah, there is a, there is a you know, hadith that mentioned him looking up before he makes dua, uh, or even when he recited uh, the ayah from Ali Imran. Uh, the hadith from Ibn Abbas, he mentions that the Prophet ﷺ woke up at night uh, and then he went out and he looked at the sky and he started reciting So our Prophet ﷺ used to frequently look at the sky, whether it was a sign of longing to his creator or just trying to get a relief from all the, you know, the burden that comes with the prophethood. Uh, he ﷺ did that. So another prophet who is mentioned in the Quran to look at the sky was Prophet Ibrahim. And I really like his story because he used a, a style of demonstration. Um, when he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was mentioned to look at the sky and uh, when, when night came down and he saw uh, a kawkab. Um, people say it's Venus. Uh, when he looked at it and, the, and Venus you know, went below the horizon, uh, he he told people, well, this can't be my my Lord because it 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 fell, you know, it it changed at least, right? Um, and then he saw the moon, and then the moon went down, and then he saw the sun, and he pointed it again, and and, and the sun went down, and then he told them, you know, these these objects, these things change, they go down, they go up, they can't be a god. What he's trying to do here is really using one of the famous arguments. Uh, that people uh, use to infer the, the presence of a God. And that's the argument of, you know, contingency, right? So if some, something is contingent, it can't be a God. And some scholars say what, what he was doing, he's actually really reflecting. He's thinking out loud uh, and reaching that conclusion. But what it seems that majority said, he was really just doing a demonstration to his people, uh, trying to show them by example and uh, demonstrate the argument that these uh, things in the sky, you can't worship this because they're not, uh, they don't have this, uh, the quality of, of the God uh, they should be worshiping. The ayat exactly before that, the, uh, in the same surah, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَذَلِكَ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ مَلَكُوتَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلِيَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُوْقِنِينَ And this is how we show Ibrahim the Malakut, which is often uh, translated as dominion of the of the Samawat and Ard, so he becomes one of those who have certitude, become one of the Muqinin, right? And we don't know exactly what this Malakut of the Samawat and Ard, but it seems as if Ibrahim was given this gift, this special gift of being able to see the inner secrets of Allah's dominion over the heavens and earth, and that gave him this certitude. So I feel, subhanAllah, when I try to, you know, study this topic and encourage people to study it, as if we're on the same path towards uh, certitude, towards yaqeen, that 
you know, prophets were on it before us and they reached that point. And hopefully, inshallah, we can continue to learn more about it to reach that, uh, that yaqeen, inshallah. Exactly. I'm, I mean, that's exactly why I'm interested in it. I just feel like with the day-to-day and being sucked into kind of uh, very, very difficult circumstances in, in this life, the one way that for me that works is just looking up and reading about, you know, the exoplanets and reading about, uh, you know, uh, previous uh, stars and the Big Bang and, and whatnot. And, and what James Webb, as I understand, is doing is, is taking us back in time um, to look at the earliest stars um, and to, to show us how the world was uh, closer to the Big Bang. So I do want to kind of talk about the Big Bang because we can't talk about space without that because we're going to hear a lot about it in the coming months. So I, um, you probably already know this question, but with regards to the Big Bang, is there a contradiction with what we're about to hear from scientists uh, and the early stars and our faith? Was the world created through a Big Bang? So that's a very interesting topic. And uh, it's like one of those... Uh, that certainly has an interesting history as well. People used to think um, until the early last century that the universe was static. Um, and they, uh, they were, until Hubble was able to uh, demonstrate through observations that the galaxies are uh, moving away from each other. Uh, so uh, that people realize that the further you look, they're moving away from each other people realize, well, if you extrapolate this back, then um, this means that everything was actually together in um, a very dense state uh, that they, uh, you know, started the whole thing. Um, And then there were other, you know, physical evidence to show that there was actually a big event that started the whole thing. Now, the Big Bang word might uh, sound like something that exploded, but what happened at the Big Bang is that space itself and time itself itself started. Um, so, uh, what what was this the creation, the moment of creation? It does carry a lot of the you know uh, signature of what how we see creation, but we we don't really know. It's part of the right, and even scientists don't really go as far as to reaching that point when the the Big Bang happened. Uh, there's limitations in terms of like how far back in time you can go. They can go very, very close to that moment. And it, it does seem like, you know, this is the, the moment where time and everything, basically everything started. Um, and Allahu Alam, it's, it sounds like what, this is when creation happened, but do, we can't really tell for sure. So uh, what I do understand in terms of the, the interaction between Islam and this theory of the Big Bang is that we're okay with it in general. Uh, we're okay with us looking into the Big Bang and and figuring out how this world was created. Um, and that's not a problem. The problem is to assume that that's all random. Um, and that's where our faith kind of draws a line. This is not random. This is, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, his, his design. So historically, um, uh, it was in- very interesting to me to know that... Uh, um, if you're familiar with the discussions around uh, al-Falasifa, who used to live, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago in the Islamic world, they used to believe that the universe was static, following Greek uh, ideas. 
uh, in philosophy. And then Imam Ghazali, uh, who was using pure uh, reasoning, uh, you know, was able to prove to them that no, there should be a moment of creation. Uh, he didn't obviously have any access to to any anything related to astronomy, uh, but he was able to find this uh, by reasoning. Um, so we do have strong reasons to believe that there is a moment of creation. Um, I can't tell 100% that this was the Big Bang, but it, it just looks like this is where everything started. Um, people who talk about randomness, though, uh, talk about how this is basically having no access to that moment of, of the Big Bang. Uh, it is possible that something started it uh, that happened before and you just don't have access to that data. And if you want to follow exactly very uh, specifically the scientific method, then uh, you know, you're reaching the point where science just breaks at some, po at some point because you don't have measurements anymore and you can't reach that moment. Um, and that's why we call it creation and other people will probably say maybe there is uh, a physical explanation for it. Uh, there is also some mention of the idea of design and how the universe has very specific um, constants that seem to be chosen specifically to uh, for our existence. And if you change those constants, uh, you just will you won't have the universe we live in. Dr. Aisha, there's a question um, that I often think about that I've been looking for someone to answer. So hopefully you can answer this. Um, there, there's a verse in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes that one day with Allah is like a thousand days here. Um, and my understanding, maybe this is because I'm watching uh, movies like Interstellar, uh, that in certain places in, in space, time is relative. And so uh, it could be very plausible that uh, a thousand days equals one day in somewhere in space. And the reason I say that is, all of a sudden it feels like potentially, you know, heaven and hell and, and the day of judgment could be in this realm of our universe. Or am I kind of going off, you know, <laughs> yeah. too much of a tangent? I, I, think, I think you're asking a good question, Muhammad. Time uh, is a very, very interesting concept. Um, and one of my favorite novels is actually about time. It's called Einstein's Dreams. Um, it's a by, it's a, by an astrophysicist who's also a novelist um, who uh, wrote about how Einstein came up with his uh, idea of you know time being relevant. And it's a collection of short stories in which he describes in each one of them how uh, you know a scenario in which time is relevant in a different way, um, relative sorry in a different way. Um, so. It is an intriguing idea, and um, when we when we're uh, maybe close to a very massive object, time will be will run differently. Um, when we're uh, also in a different speed, uh, time will run differently. But is the connection you made to the surah and to the idea to the ayah and to the ideas uh, about jannah and nar uh, is also brings reminds me of something that's very important, and that's trying to map uh, a scientific fact to something in the Quran or something in, uh, in the ghaib, uh, the stuff about Jannah and Nar, um, are things that are we study when we study Aqidah and Asim'iyat. Uh, they're called ghaib because 
they're supernatural. We don't have access to them. We learn about them from the Quran, from the Quran, and from what the Prophet ﷺ told us. So the Khabar is Sadiq of the Prophet. Uh, we we don't study them in physics, and I find it very problematic when people try to use physical concepts and equations and speed of light and stuff to try to calculate things like, you know, Isra and Mi'raj and, uh, and you know, very specific things that aren't meant to be understood in a physical sense. So a day, يَوْمًا عِنْدَ رَبِّكَ is part of the ghaib. We, we just shouldn't be thinking of it uh, in the same tools we, we, we use in our lives. Uh, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beyond space and beyond time time just falls apart at that moment. And you don't, you know, when, when inshallah we're all gathered in Jannah, we don't think of time in the same, you know, way we do now. Another thing that's important to mention is in the Quran, uh, the Quranic language uses things like Alfi uh, Sana, and it's known by the Arabs. And I know this from reading Tafsir. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a thousand. A thousand. Know, so yeah. just a lot. It just yeah. means a lot for takthir. Um, and it applies to other numbers as well. Uh, so Allah knows what, what's meant exactly by it. Uh, but it's it's similar to what some people do when they try to very, you know, uh, to, to take certain concepts from, from the Quran, for certain ayat, and just map it directly to something physical. And I feel like it's really problematic because this is not meant to be done this way. Point taken. Jazakallah <laughs> khair. Um, Dr. Aisha, I, I'm, as I said, I'm very glad that you're on this podcast because I do see you as a role model for for me, for my uh, my family. Um, and I have uh, a nine-year-old niece who uh, shows up in every episode of Double Take and she asks our guests questions. So I ask on her behalf. And her question today is, uh, as a nine-year-old, she's asking Dr. Aisha, why is space and the study of space important to us as Muslims. And my uncle keeps telling me to go and study to become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Why should I study space instead? So why, I think if you want in general to, to give the interest of kids, I would actually recommend less talking and more doing. Um, so with kids uh, nine years old, your niece uh, age, um, I would respond by engaging the kid with an activity um, that teaches them why space is fun and within the activity uh, try to uh, bring up some of the concepts and ideas that ties, ties it back to uh, the spiritual aspect of, of, the, uh, of you know, looking into space. So for instance, one of the activities I like is uh, giving the kids a planner or maybe just a sheet with slots for a few weeks, maybe three, four weeks. Um, and then showing showing the kid how to go outside and make an observation, see the moon and then draw how the moon looks like. Uh, if the sun was out, make a note of, of which direction the sun is and make a note of time maybe. Uh, every week, two, three times, go do the same thing. So that's what you're doing in here is you're teaching the, the child to, to do a scientific observation. It's, it's right, it, that's how people do it. Uh, they go outside and they observe the sky and they make a recording. Uh, 
But during this time, the child will start noticing that the moon's changing its shape and it's appearing at different times during the day. So that's where you come in and you explain to, to your niece that uh, the, you know, the different, the configuration of the sun and that's it's emitting light and then the earth and it's uh, the moon it's, uh, uh, is a satellite of earth and just a rock basically within the earth. And why is changing shape? Why is it following a cycle? And then during also this activity, you'll have an opportunity to bring in ayat like al-shamsu uh, wal-qamari bi-husban and wal-qamara qaddarnahu manazili hatta aadak al-urjoon al-qadim mentioned that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to look at the moon and make the dua and say Rabbi wa Rabbukallah. So aspects of the religion come together with aspects of spirituality and sunnah and science, right? And explaining things about the world will change the perspective of the, of the, the, the children instead of just feeling that this is something we study in a book, in a textbook, or we see in a magazine. We're now actually doing those observations and we know now why people, you know, follow the lunar calendar, what our Prophet ﷺ did when he saw those, uh, these phenomena. Um, and things like that, I think, will probably be more engaging and beneficial for the children. Jazakallah khair. Dr. Aisha, you're an astrophysicist, so I'm sure this next segment of our show is going to be very easy for you. It's, uh, it's the rapid fire. Okay. Um, so we have a, a certain set of questions that we ask our guests and you only have a few seconds earth seconds um to uh to answer them are you ready fire away ready your um your favorite planet oh that's easy planet earth no question okay that was easy um your favorite reciter of the quran um it depends um i if i want something with a fast paced uh muhammad ayub um, is one I listen to a lot. Slower uh, is uh, Sheikh Fusari, alhamdulillah. That's very classical, mashallah. <laughs> you have classical taste. Um, what's the last book that you're reading? So the book I've been reading, it's actually a book that I've read before and I wanted to read again because the person who wrote it uh, got uh, a Templeton Prize. His name is Frank Wolczyk or Wilczyk or something like that. And the book is called A Beautiful uh, Question. Um, he's a theoretical astrophysicist and he, he likes to see beauty in everything in the universe, even in math and things that describe the universe. So it's a very interesting book um, about uh, this topic. I'd expect someone of your caliber to read a book like that. Um, how, how much time have you spent looking into a telescope? Um, yeah, so modern astronomers don't look directly through telescopes, very rarely. Uh, we usually attach uh, instruments that take measurements uh, in photometry or spectroscopy. Uh, and I've used survey data, so it was basically automated uh, telescope that takes uh, spectra for large batches of the sky. Um, so we don't really look through the telescope. I've done that so, uh, for courses I was taking uh, specifically during my master's. Uh, there was a course where I uh, basically was given an eight inch telescope um, and then a list of objects. And then we'll go out to the observatory at night and just basically do what amateur astronomers do. And I wanted to take this course. It wasn't required just because I wanted to learn that skill because 
if you want to study astronomy, you can become a professional astronomer and you don't really need to do this, to learn any of this stuff. Uh, it's really all automated. Fair enough. And um, if there was one person in history, other than the Prophet ﷺ, that you would love to meet and discuss whatever, but including astronomy, who would that be? Um, I actually want to meet uh, with uh, Aisha radiallahu anha. She, I don't know if she knew if she cared about astronomy, uh, but I'd like to meet her in person. Why? Um, I mean, I care. I have her name, and I've you know always looked up to her in terms of like how intelligent she was, and uh, uh, you know she she narrated a lot of the sunnah to us, and she she was uh, a scholar as well as being the wife of the Prophet and one final um, one final question you lived in Minnesota and now you're in Canada which one is colder oh um so I lived in Minnesota and I live in southern Ontario uh, I can tell you that I learned by experience that when I was in Minnesota that negative 40 Fahrenheit uh, is equal on the scale to negative 40 Celsius uh, so that's how, you know, cold it got in Minnesota. Oh I, I didn't see that that side of the scale uh, here. So um, today it's, I think, plus 10 or plus 15 in Sydney. And I am oh. absolutely freezing because I lived in Qatar for uh, eight years. And oh, so wow. anything less than 30 degrees Celsius is, is considered cold. It is. Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I would love, that's like summer here. Um, it's 35 here and I am like, it's so hot and I, you know, <laughs> and the AC is broken. It's like the best time to, so <laughs> yeah. Summer, yesterday, I think, yeah. yesterday it was like 15 yeah. or something. Jazakallah khair for your time um, and thank you so much for your efforts in this space and we're looking forward to your article uh, in the coming months. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Jazakallah khair.